Hi, I'm Dave Williams. I'd like for you to meet a friend of mine, Jamie Waymire. I just met her myself. She's an inspirational woman, and you're about to find out why with this short four-minute video that introduces Jamie and her story. Then we'll have a chat. Here it is, the video by Kevin Patrick, Kevin Patrick Productions. Everyone has a story. And if we just assume that someone has a story and that we should take good care of them and be kind to them, it would go a long way to healing a lot of wounds. I'm Jamie Waymeyer. Since the time I started working in the behavioral health world, I really became curious about trauma right away. I was working with um, women who were in the inner city who were trying to recover from drugs and alcohol, and trauma was thread through the lives of so many of those women. So I started researching and studying trauma-informed care and how we can use those practices to help people not just recover, but help people to feel good, help people to, to be well. I have two boys, Jake and Zane. They are my life, and my life changed dramatically. My husband and I had gone to St. Louis for a family graduation. Jake, being 17, and as some 17-year-olds do, decided that he was gonna circle back around and stay at our house with no one there and bring a couple friends over. I woke up on June 25th and for some reason rolled over and looked at Facebook and I saw a post on our neighborhood page that said that there had been a fatality. And in that moment, I knew it was my son. One of his friends had killed him. Losing a child and losing a child in the manner that we lost him, I can think of nothing worse. One of the things that, um, that I wanted to have happen was to have the lunch after his funeral at the school uh, because I knew that there would be a lot of kids that would be there and I knew that they would feel safe. And I was told at that time that we could not do that because we needed to keep the grief out of the school. I was frankly shocked. I have repeatedly been disappointed by the way we've been treated. I knew as a community that we were supposed to be addressing trauma-informed practices. I knew that um, schools were supposed to be embracing that. My agency that I worked for was supposed to be embracing that. I knew that, um, that work had been done, but what I found out is that not enough work had been done. I had folks who were clearly uncomfortable with me saying Jake's name, with having Jake's pictures around, with some expectations that I would walk into the place that I worked and my grief would not walk in with me some expectations around Zane's ability to sit in a classroom in the same school that his brother was supposed to go to, and the kid who killed him was also supposed to be in that school. I think that they just don't know, but I also believe we all have a responsibility to know and to do better. Jake was a good, kind person. He would defend kids who maybe um, couldn't stand up for themselves. He would work with the kid in the classroom who nobody else wanted to work with. I'll never understand why I lost Jake, never. But if I can just be the person for somebody else in pain, if I can help them through that, that's a good day. That's a good day. And I challenge folks to be that person, to just non-judgmentally love someone. It doesn't matter what our story is. It doesn't matter.
Jamie Waymeyer. Hi. Hello. Hi. It's so great to meet you. As I said a moment ago, before the uh, before the video, um, you and I have never spoken before. Now think that we've swapped a couple of emails just to set this up. But seriously, I want you to know that your story is one of the most impressive and inspirational stories that I've mm -hmm. I've ever come across, because I'm a parent, and uh, I'm. 71 years old, and I have suffered very, very little trauma in my life. And I know that the universe is just waiting to get me <laughs> one way or another. And I don't know how I'll deal with it. Um, in fact, just a few nights ago, my wife was out uh, for an evening. I knew she was out for a while. She was out far longer than I expected. And honestly, I started to get a little worried and I tried calling her and I tried texting her and I got no response. I had no reason in the world to be worried about where she was and what she was doing, but it made me scared. And I've never really reacted that way before. So um, my brain started going to all kinds of crazy places. You know, how am I going to, if I, how would I live without her? What would I do? We're, we're of an age where people, uh, people croak for all kinds of various region, mm -hmm. reasons. Mm -hmm. And though we've talked about uh, what we would do if something happened to you and that kind of thing, uh, the emotional response has never really welled up in me as it did at that moment. So without talking about me anymore though, I would like to go back and, and have you start uh, by telling, telling us your story with Jake. Absolutely. So let me tell you first, just as you were telling your story, my heart started beating a little faster because in truth, since I, um, since I lost Jake, um, many of my days feel like that. If I don't know where my other son is at, if I don't know where my husband's at, if something is happening in the world, I, I get that overwhelming feeling. Um, is that relatively new experience? Has that been since Jake died? Certainly since Jake. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, you know, the normal worries of being a parent existed in my life prior to Jake being killed. But um, but after his death, certainly I've had to learn to um, had to learn to manage my brain and body in a lot of different ways that I that I um, definitely was. And not yet you had a, you had a great deal of training. Yeah, you were working in the field of of uh, of uh, grief and and uh, behavioral recovery and all that stuff. For a very long time yeah uh, definitely it, i'm a social it, worker and i um i've been in the behavioral health field for um, i always tell people like literally since birth it feels like at this point in my life but um but since the time i graduated from college i worked in the field of um either substance use mental health both um so yeah and also trauma was my jam before i lost jake like that was what was really important to me that's what really? i studied that's what i um, tried to understand to um, to help people heal to really um, to to really um, understand what happened to people when they experienced traumatic. How did that events. become a passion for you? Um, well, it actually became a passion for me when I when I first um, went into my very first job working in a substance use facility for women and their children. It was a residential and outpatient program. Moms could bring their kids, and many were court ordered to bring their kids into treatment with them because of um, various things that had happened in their, um, um, due to their substance use. And, 
and I was young, you know, 20, 22, I want to say when I started um, that job. And, um, and I will tell you, Dave, that I spent a lot of time in uh, college learning nothing to prepare me for the work that I was going to be doing. Really? And, and that's really what um, I learned very quickly. Like, you don't know anything to help these families. Um, heal. And that's when I um, understood. I always, I feel like I lived a fairly, um, a fairly charmed life. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I had a normal childhood. I had two parents who loved me. I, you know, had a brother, I mean, like normal, big family. Right. Um, and so when I started hearing the stories um, from these women and the things that they'd experienced, I um, was like, oh, I'm not prepared to help them. And, and I need to learn more. Um, so really, right from the time I started working, that that um, resonated with me. What was it you thought you needed to learn more of to be helpful? Um, the impact of trauma, like what at that time, when I was um, very new to the field, it was really just um, how and particularly because I was working with women who were using drugs and alcohol, like how was what happened to them connected to their drug use? Like. Um, and, and it kind of would, uh, what I learned went both ways. Most of them came in with a trauma story, something that happened to them in childhood and adulthood. I was working in, um, in a very urban center um, with a very diverse population. Um, so many of them had experienced not only personal trauma, but also um, racism, you know, like all the other things that came along with that. And living those lives um, that are nothing. living, living lives of the people who have life constantly bearing down on them in so many ways, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so I had to, um, I had to really um, immerse myself in just understanding like how does trauma impact um, these women and what could I do to help them heal? Like what, what could I teach them? Um, and at that moment, I, I couldn't teach them anything because I didn't know, quite honestly, I had to learn. You were, you were um, too, too young. You didn't have the experience yeah. or perspective, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, certainly. So yeah, that's where my really my passion started. And then it just, um, I continued as I went through from the substance use side to the mental health side with that kind of journey of understanding it better. And, um, and then when about, I want to say about eight to 10 years ago, um, although I've been saying that for like three years now, so maybe it's like 11 years, I don't know. Um, but um, uh, the this, um, idea around trauma-informed care started emerging in the behavioral health world. And um, I started reading about that and, and it kind of took me even further down that path because it wasn't just about the, the, the people that we served, but it was about us. It was about our stories. It was about how hearing trauma day after day, hearing stories day after day of, um, of um, really horrible things, how that impacts us as the helper. Um, and so, um, so, I really immerse myself in this idea around trauma-informed care and how do we build resilience in order for us to be well, to keep doing our job that, that, um, that's so challenging. I've always wondered, uh, I've always been fascinated by psychology. And uh, uh, as my first, <laughs> my first marriage was nearing its end, we went, to, uh, we went to marriage counseling and the counselor told us right up front, she said, I want you to understand my job is not to save your marriage. My job is to help the two of you take whatever steps are necessary for you to, uh, you know, be happy and, and go on and so forth. But as we, as we went through those sessions, I found myself uh, kind of detached 
was watching myself react to and watching watching the uh, the woman who was working with us and watching how how she was uh, talking to us and watching how she was doing her business and watching how she was taking her notes. Anyway, the upshot is I've always been fascinated by that, and and I wonder how much of the kind of burdens that you bear that you have to, you know, the stories that you listen to, uh, it's, it, it seems like it would be, uh, uh, and it really emotional, bunch of emotional baggage after a while that you have to take home with you every day, or do you just, you know, do you just become totally detached from that portion of your life and you've got your professional life and you get your personal life and it's not a problem separating. I wish it was that easy. Um, to, to do that, but uh, absolutely not. It, it, it is a burden. Now, some people I will say don't deal with that. Um, and so you can call that detachment, but it's not really just detachment. It still weighs on our brain and body. And, and one of the things that we know about trauma is that um, our brain, whether we're experiencing that trauma or we're observing that trauma or we're hearing that story, our brain reacts the same way. Uh, it doesn't, it can't distinguish between that's my trauma versus that's your trauma necessarily as we're, yeah. as we're going through that. So think about Dave, like all the things that have happened over just the last two and a half years, all the things that we've seen on TV, all the, the things associated with the pandemic, um, all the things associated with social justice that occurred. And I could list so many right. other things, right. Yeah. That are happening in our world right now. Um, people are really struggling who are maybe not even directly connected to some of the things that are happening because our brains don't distinguish between um between that's yours versus mine um and so if we're not doing the work to um to keep our brains as healthy as possible then then um over time that burden becomes heavier and heavier and we start having what we call trauma responses that um that can be harmful to us over time all right. Hopefully, we can uh, we can discuss that a little bit. What kind of work we need to we all need to do to cope with the stuff that's in our lives that we're not even aware is causing trouble for us. But let's go back. Let's go back to your story with Jake. And I want to make sure that people understand that uh, you know I'm not prying this out of you. This is a story that you tell because you want to tell, and and you, I, I'm sure it helps you. But you also know that it helps other people. And I will also explain that uh, Jamie's website, I want to say it several times, but I want to get it right up front here, is inspirehopehealing.com. And that's what it's all about. So I guess this is kind of, uh, this is a therapy for all of us. Tell, <laughs> right? us about, yeah, definitely. tell us about your oldest boy, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my most important job that I do is a mom. I'm a mom of boys. Um, uh, and I have, um, two boys, Jake and Zane. Jake's my oldest, Zane is my youngest. Um, and, uh, when Jake was 17 years old, he was, um, he was killed by one of his friends. Um, and, um, when that occurred, obviously my life is changed forever. This was five and a half years ago. Actually, Christmas day is always the half year mark. So on Christmas day, it'll be five and a half years since we, um, since we, um, since Jake was taken from us. I don't even like to say we lost Jake because we didn't lose him. Right. He was yeah. literally taken from us at, at somebody else's hands. And so, um, so since that time, you know, I always, I always tell folks like, I'm like how you described you hovering over and kind of watching the therapist. That's yeah. kind of what I feel like I do with my life sometimes yeah. is 
um, as somebody who was, you know, a social worker, who was a therapist, who was doing this work around trauma um, um, prior to losing him, um, I feel like I, I watched systems not know how to take care of my family, not know how to take care of Zane when he went back to school, not know how to take care of um, my husband and I when we went back to work after losing Jake. And um, Jake's friends, he has a core group of of friends, I call them the boys, who have continued to be um, in our life and, and so important. But but right after, um, in the year after Jake um, was killed, he was to be a senior in high school, and and uh, the boys would come and tell me stories about things that were happening to them in the school system that just broke my heart because it was a system that was not they they knew they knew who these boys were. I actually gave them a list at the beginning of the school year and said. Um, these are the, the, the kids that you need to keep a close eye on this year. They're going to struggle. They need support um, in a different way than what you're used to giving. And, um, and I just kept hearing stories about that not happening. <laughs> Excuse me just a moment. I'm, I'm kind of losing the timeline here. Are you talking about then, right after Jake yes. was killed? Okay, not, not now because you said that they were still in your life. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit more? You say he was. He was killed by a friend. Mm -hmm. Why? What? 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 What is the story behind that? Well, I'll tell you what we know, which is um, not much, because frankly, the only two people that know are wow. Jake and the young man who killed him. But um, what what happened was, my husband and I, um, we have family. We're in Kansas City, and so we have family in the St. Louis area, and we um, had gone to um, a family graduation in St. Louis and my boys were to stay with with a family member here. Well, both the boys made arrangements to spend the night at a friend's house, which I knew about and I was I had approved Jeff had my husband Jeff had approved. We we knew where they were supposed to be. How, how much um, younger was Zane than He's 2 years younger. So he okay. was 15 at the time that Jake was killed. Okay. Yeah, so he was 15 at the time Jake was killed. Um and so um uh Jake um, at 17 decided that he um, was not going to be where he said he was going to be. And he went back to the house with three of his friends. Um, and um, we know that two of the other young men left around one in the morning, something like that. We don't know exactly when, but the other young man and Jake had gone to bed at that time. Um, he, he was done and tired and had gone up to his room um, and the other young man had stayed down. Um, I, I assume by himself and Dave, this is what we just don't know exactly, but, um, but he um, somehow he started tearing up our house down there. He, he got angry and started tearing up the house. And what, what we assume happened is that Jake heard that um, commotion in our basement and went down there to try and stop him. Um, the kid ran out of the house, Jake chased after him. Um, and the kid got in his car and turned it at my house and my son and um, killed my son, ran him over, um, and crashed into our house. Um, and you don't know why was, was the kid on drugs? Was he disturbed? He was, um, I mean, we don't, he, um, he and one of the other boys had used, um, mushrooms that evening. Hmm. Jake and one of the other kids had not done that I mean they you know they of course at the autopsy checked Jake for everything um 
I, because I have a long history in the field, um, do not believe mushrooms cause you to do that, um, no matter what. <laughs> I mean, um, I've heard a lot of stories and I've never heard a story of that. I don't, I honestly don't know what was happening in that young man's um, mind when he went to that. He was Jake's friend since kindergarten. I mean, they wow. were very old friends. So, um, well, very, very quickly, just to kind of kind of wrap up the story before we get back into uh, what happened after that. What what happened to this young man? Was he arrested? Was he? He was tried? arrested. He um, that and that's a whole system we learned about too, Dave. I'll tell you is the legal system. He was arrested, and then he was um, able to um, of course get out on um, you know post bail and get out until um, we went to trial. And he, um, uh, the trial was not for another almost, I'll say almost a two and a half years later. Wow. Um, well, and actually, um, he didn't go to, to trial. We, um, we did accept a plea um, after learning a lot about the um, legal system. So he um, uh, um, pled to um, voluntary manslaughter yeah. and um, was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Um, so he's currently um, serving. Okay. Yeah. And how did you find out about all this? The night of that that it happened, the next day. <laughs> um, the worst way I think you could find out about something like that. I actually in the morning, um, when I woke up, I looked at Facebook, and our neighborhood had a Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and somebody had posted on there that um, that there was a fatality in the neighborhood, and I instantly knew it was Jake. I, I don't, I don't know why, but I just, for some reason, because you're gut, a mom, you have that intuition. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I actually, um, Dave watched a, watched, um, I think it was a head talk or something of a mom who lost actually three of her children in a fire. And her story was so powerful to me, but she talked about when she was really dealing with the pain, like that a psychiatrist said to her, you know, it's, you're, you're actually like connected to your children because you were connected to your children when they yeah. were in utero, right? And yeah, so like yeah. you're you're literally, it's like you've lost a limb, like your nerves have been severed. And so it takes time for that to heal. And that is like how I would describe the first probably year and a half, two years after losing Jake was like, like a part of my body was missing from me. Okay, but you say you, you saw that on Facebook and knew that it was him. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you get confirmation of that? Um, so actually, um, Zane, my other, my other child, he um, was staying down at his best friend's house who lived down the hill and, um, they, the, um, his mom, his best friend's mom called me, um, to tell me the um, police had come down to find Zane to try and get information as to, and they, cause they, of course they didn't know Jake's identity. And so they, they, um. They, I, and I don't know actually those details. Like, I, I don't know. There was, a, I mean, there was a big police presence at some point up there. And so I don't know if Zane and his friend walked up there to see what was going on or what happened exactly, how they, how they knew Zane was his brother. And then uh, your, your husband was with you at home when all this went down? In St. Louis. Yeah, we weren't at home. We were in St. Louis. Oh, okay. So we had to drive home after. Oh. 
hearing that. Yeah. Okay. I'm again. I I really am. I know that you you want to tell your story, and you, and you do it for very good reasons to inspire hope and understanding and you know growth for everybody else. But boy, I can see that that's still a very difficult process for you to talk about. So I apologize. But I want to. I no worries. It yeah, it is. It is, and I don't know if you asked me to send questions in twenty years that it would be any easier. Quite probably frankly. not. Um, yeah. One of the things you mentioned in Kevin's uh, documentary piece was that uh, caught my attention. Said that you wanted to hold a memorial service for Jake at his high school, but were denied permission. And what what was it yeah. you said? They they wanted to keep they wanted to keep. Uh, sadness or grief or something literally they literally i was told we want to keep the grief out of the school wow yeah yeah that was kind of my first like um during that first few months when i was just in total shock things would happen and i would be like i'm filing that in my brain to um, make sure i talk about that later to make sure people understand that is not an okay way to think about losing a young person um who who's friends are all intimately connected to that school. Like that's why they know Jake is because of school. Right. And so to say, keep the grief out of the school is absolutely insane to me. Like, well, this was all happening me? during, during the era of school shootings and uh, during this era that we're in now still where, uh, you know, trigger warnings and college mm -hmm. students wanting safe spaces and all of that, wanting to be sheltered from the hard parts of life. When I was in high school, there was a girl who was hit in a crosswalk on her way to school one day, hit by another student in his car because he was driving into our, our high school was situated so that those of us who had cars and were able to park in the parking lot came up a street just outside the school. And we were driving at that time of year directly into a blinding sunrise. And that blinded him. He didn't see her. He hit her. She died. And uh, of course, that that news got around the campus immediately. The next day, they held a school-wide memorial service for her in the gym. And people were able to talk. And people were able to cry. And people were able to hug. And I'll tell you, I know for a fact that we even, even that girl's best friends, everybody felt better after that togetherness that experience that's why it, that's why it just jumped out at me when you said that they wouldn't let you do that yeah what they did do they did have um so it was during the summer um so school was out summer school was in but um but school was out um they did have um counselors on standby for um kids but um i i didn't i didn't go to that i think that zane stopped by there and there weren't that many kids it was summer it was different you know it's yeah. different to say we're going to get together to um to celebrate jake versus we're going to you know have counselors on standby if you need to talk to someone um yeah. particularly with kids you know there's there's ways that they need to grieve and there's ways they need to heal and um i don't think that that was honored very well so how did you progress from that point so, you know, the first, um, like for me personally, I, it was kind of an interesting progression during those first few months of, um, you know, numbness and just, you know, um, this uh, disbelief. And actually, um, 
five and a half years later, I wake up some mornings and think, this isn't real. <laughs> this isn't my life. I'm a mom of two boys. How, I mean, so well, I noticed I'll say at, that the, that's still at a, the beginning of our conversation, you still mentioned Jake in present tense. I still think of him in present tense and I, and I always will, quite frankly. Um, uh, we are a family of four and um, he is not here, but he is my son. He is um, very present in our lives and in my lives. And, and that's why one of the reasons why I'll, I, um, it's so important for me to do this work is because I get to talk about him. Um, you know, I get to share who he is and, yeah. um, and what an amazing young man he was, what a turd he was, what a, all the things about him that I love the most. So, um, I, uh, um, I, I feel really fortunate about that, but, but, um, at first, you know, obviously that was not the, that was not realistic at first it was like how do I get my brain to function again and I mm -hmm. and I remember probably a month two months after he had been killed and um we actually never stayed another night in our house we it, it was damaged significantly and we um we, I have an aunt who at the time lived down the street from us and so we stayed there until um until we found another place to live and wow um so we were staying there and I remember just waking up one day and thinking and I used to, um, I used to run and, and, and exercise and, and I hadn't, I'd kind of gotten out of that when, before Jake died. And I remember waking up thinking, step one, move your body. You have got to get up and do something. If your brain is going to, um, function again. And so that's what I did. And I remember the first time I went for a run, um, I, people must have thought I was crazy, but I was running and I was bawling and I was, um, it was just really an, um, emotional release for me, but that was, that was the beginning of me saying, okay, um, you lost your child and you did not lose your own yeah. life. What, how are you going to find yourself again? Um, no, I, I, again, I'm going to relate to my, I don't, I don't like to interrupt your story because yours is uh, so hard to imagine. And, uh, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And I'm so grateful that I never had to put up with uh, the kind of trauma that you've had. But I can relate in this small way. And I'm saying this because I hope other people can relate too for whatever, whatever uh, experience they had. When I got divorced, I had a very hard time with it. Very hard. And Absolutely. I went off by myself on vacation, which is a very hard thing to do when you've never gone on vacation alone. And I was miserable. I just, I, I wallowed in my grief for several days until I woke up one day and said, I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm just tired of it. I'm cried out and I'm wrung out and nothing has changed. So I have to figure out a way to go on. Is that where you were at at that point? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, what I, yes. And let me just tell you that I, while I, um, I believe my trauma experience was profoundly changing, changing to me or changed me. Um, I also know that people experience things every day that are life-changing trauma and divorce is certainly one of those. So, um, so not I, to the same I, degree as death, but yes, no, maybe not to the same degree. Um, yet and still it changes it changes us right, right. and and yeah. so um so you know i think um i think for me like i i when i reflect on like how did you get up how did you start talking about 
um, trauma and helping people to understand it differently. I feel fortunate that I actually had knowledge about it beforehand. So I, I understood that, um, I understood what was happening to my brain um, because I already talked about the science of trauma. I understood what was happening to, um, to Zane as he was going through this at the age of 15, which is, you know, a hard age anyway, right? That yeah. you're, so much is changing in your life. And, um, and, and, and Jeff, like I live with two guys and um, I love you guys a lot. Y'all are hard when it comes to hard things. And so um, the, the expression of grief is very different for, um, for men versus women. And so um, I feel fortunate that I had that knowledge. You know, I think poor Jeff, the first, probably one of the first things I said to him in the days after Jake um, was killed was I said, I don't want to get a divorce over this. Oh. And he was like, <laughs> like, what are you saying? And I'm like, the, the, the percentage of parents who lose a child and get a divorce is astronomical because dealing with such intense trauma and very differently dealing with it is, is terrible on marriages. It's so hard. I'm here to tell you it's so hard. Well, um, you need to support so, each other. And maybe there are times during that process, you're just not capable of doing that. So each right. of you would feel abandoned. That's right. That's right. And like not knowing how to support each other sometimes too, yeah. just, you know, um, the intense um, emotions around losing a child. And, and, and because of the um, work that I do now, I've, I've, I've been able to talk to lots of child loss survivors, you know, and, and the story is not so different as far as um, how the work to be done um, to be well after you lose a child. Well, let's talk about your work. You're a licensed clinical social worker. You have your own organization, I believe. And I don't know anything about that, but this, uh, your, your website is uh, Inspire Hope Healing. I know you say Inspire Hope and Healing, but I want to say it correctly for people who are going to go look it up. Inspire Hope yeah. Healing. Just leave out the and.com, right? What is it you do now? Well, Dave, I do a little bit of everything. I feel like so. Um, so that is that is my uh, my my business, my LLC. Um, and and for through that, I do um, I do um, presentations, trainings on trauma, the science of trauma, um, and resilience. And so I um, all, all different ways of teaching about um, the impact of trauma. Um, and then also, how do we heal? How do we how do we build our resilience when we go through hard things? So I do that in all different types of forums. I also go I'll do consulting with organizations about trauma informed care and how to um, how to create safe um, safe work environments and not the way we think about like OSHA and safety, but like yeah. how do we create emotionally safe spaces for people to work and be? Um, and so I'll go into organizations and do that work as well. Most recently, I also just started a new job as the clinical director for um, a nonprofit organization called The Battle Within um, that um, provides care for um, vets, first responders, and frontline medical staff to, um, to help them on their journey to healing their trauma. Um, so that's like, that's a new venture for me. 
um, because I don't know, I guess I was bored or something and <laughs> I would do something else. So, <laughs> um, so um, I do that. And then, um, and then um, also I have a nonprofit with a couple of other women who um, really, we just started that because we were doing this work around trauma-informed care, but, um, but small organizations needed help to get us in there. And community is really important to me. I, I'm the um, coordinator for this group called Casey Northland Strong um, in um, the Kansas City area that's, um, that is organizations, community members, businesses coming together to talk about how do we build um, trauma-informed, healthy, equitable, resilient community in where we live. And so, um, so that's a part of the, um, the nonprofit as well, doing that work. You know, as you're talking to me about helping people learn how to cope with their traumas, it occurs to me that it would be very helpful if uh, everybody learned uh, so that uh, when you're not being victimized by trauma, you can be helpful to your friends and your family. I imagine a lot of people, I knew one man in particular who was a very good friend of mine, but he was not for one, one for sitting down and hearing about your problems. You know, you didn't pour your heart out to him because he didn't know how to deal with it and would change the subject and move on. And, and it was a very frustrating experience. So it'd be so good if people could just, you know, learn how to face trauma from any perspective and help other people deal with it. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, um, you know, some of the hard lessons I've learned is that, um, that many people are incredibly uncomfortable sitting with somebody yeah. who has um, a traumatic story and who, um, you know, I've lost, I've lost incredibly close people to me because um, they're not able to just sit and listen. They, you know, um, perceptions, everything. And so as a, as a trauma survivor, if I feel like you're judging my story, if I feel like you're, um, looking at the way I parent my other son, if I feel like you um, think I talk about my story too much, then I generally don't have time for you. I'm, yeah. I, um, I, I'm, that prevents me from healing. And so, um, so that's been some hard lessons that I've had to learn, but also just my belief too. Um, I always, I, I tell folks, like, if you think you've never experienced trauma, then um, where were you living the last two and a half years as we've experienced um, the pandemic, as we've experienced all of this political divisiveness, as we've experienced all of this, um, this social justice um, issues, like we have all been impacted in some way by that um, at different varying degrees. You know, some of us very personally um, during, in, during COVID and currently we've lost loved ones because of COVID. Right. Um, you know, and so there's that very personal um, piece of it, but some of us have experienced extreme financial difficulties because of COVID. Some of us have, um, have um, uh, um, you know, if the black community, the Hispanic community, the um, higher rates of COVID and the deaths there, and in the midst of all the social justice, like there is so much happening in our world right now that, um, that we all need to understand what happens to our brain when we experience trauma, because in some shape or form, we've experienced it. Um, Is part of the solution to that, first of all, to try to stop being defensive when you're hurting, stop looking for uh, ways to blame 
other people or 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 other uh, sources of your of your misery, or is that part of the steps that you go through of grief? Like, you know, they tell us it's like uh, first of all you've got disbelief, and then then you get to anger, and and then you go through you know very I, I don't remember how many steps there were, but eventually you get to acceptance. Is that all part of the process? Yeah, I think so. The um the funny thing, it's funny you would mention that. So the um the the quote five steps of grief. Like when I um was doing um um clinical work as a therapist and I would I read about I read that book and I was like, well, I'm not sharing this book with anyone because that is not what grief looks like. It's not a five-step process, it's not clear cut. Um but since then I everybody um, wants a recipe, I've, right? Yeah, everyone wants a recipe, but but actually that book, um, which I cannot, the title is escaping me, but um, but a, a colleague who helped write that book with um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, he has written a book since called Finding Meaning, and um, that Finding Meaning, sorry, one moment. Sorry. That, that Finding Meaning is... Um, Sorry, my son just popped in to say hello. That's quite that's quite all right. I'll have a dog coming in here to bark bark hello. Go ahead. Usually I tell him like this is what my day looks like. Don't interrupt, but I didn't tell him that this morning. So sorry. It's just a conversation. It's quite all right. That's life. But um, but when but but he's written a a book called Finding Meaning, and and uh, I heard him on a podcast, and I was like, oh, that book was not written to be like step one, two, three, four, five about grief. Um, and also that book was, the original book was written um, about people's experience as they are dying, not for the people who are grieving them. Oh, yeah. And so um, that's an interesting like shift in thinking, um, you know, as far as um, how we think about the stages of grief. But also the idea is like, this is what it looks like in real life. It's crazy. It's ups and downs. And some days I have acceptance and some days I'm mad as hell. And, and that's what grief really looks like. And we're all different, it, right? We all respond differently yeah. and at, different, at a different pace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the piece I think people need to understand. Like, like this idea of um, defensiveness and blaming others, that's all the response to trauma. Mm-hmm. whether it be the death of somebody or just trauma like divorce right you probably right. can say I kind of went through those stages too when yeah, I was sure. going through my divorce mm-hmm. right um to me it's more important that that we all understand that that we understand what um trauma looks like what a trauma response is what is fight flight or freeze how does that impact our brain how does our brain function all of those different things so um it, it it's a it's a, it's not prescribed as we would like it to be. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. Yeah. I, uh, today is Tuesday as we're talking this past Saturday, I got a phone call from my brother. I'm the oldest of four children. And he told me that our youngest sibling had died and oh. I didn't know that. And the 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 story is is uh, highly unusual and, and very sad. And she, our little sister, who had been uh, she was sixty two years old, and uh, she was a lifelong actually a lifelong since her adulthood, she was a severe alcoholic, with a lot of mental problems, emotional problems I should say, 
and it had gotten to a point where she finally left and uh, went struck out on her own. And as far as we know, she was, you know, we all offered her help in any way we possibly could, wanted to take her to, to counseling and so forth and so on over many, many years of this. And then she just disappeared. So when my brother called, I was first of all very much surprised that he had heard about her. We hadn't, I hadn't seen her for over 20 years. When she was little, she was a, she was a sweet, sweet, cute little girl. And I'm quite a bit older than her. And so, you know, I, uh, I just adored her, but she's always had these problems in her life. And anyway, it wound up killing her and, and he got a call from a hospital. We're not even sure how they got his number because she's been completely apart from the family for all these years. We didn't expect to hear from her anymore. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in my own response to that because even though she'd been out of my life for a very long time, she was part of my family. She's my little sister. She was a little princess, we called her. And uh, I just think that as I told my brother, I said, well, you know, she's been, she's been lost to us for a long time. And we know she's had a, a great deal of, she's had a tragic life, a very miserable life. Um, we don't know any of the details, but I'm glad that the misery is over for her. You know, and these are the kinds of things that we have to face up to. We have, because we're all going to deal with it at some point or another, right? Right. That's right. And you just don't even, you don't even know how. I'm so sorry about your sister. And Oh, what a story and what a time, um, you know, in, and 20 years doesn't matter when you've grown up in the same home with person. And yeah, well, because like, that... I'm just, when you said like the age difference, I was just thinking, oh, you were probably like, like the coolest big brother to her, like, you know, that <laughs> big age difference. Like I imagine you, we just, were close um, in that way. Yeah. 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 yeah so that um but yeah, i haven't had i the... haven't had an emotional response and i told him i said well you know i may respond to this emotionally eventually i tend to be a little bit slow on the uptake emotionally when my father died i didn't get broken up about it for about two or three days then before it sank in and i was thinking about that when you were and you were we and i were talking about how people are different everybody has to have a different expectation of themselves and of other people when they're going through things like this that's right. That's right. Cause you just don't, you know, I always, I always tell folks like have grace, give grace to people when they're going through stuff. Cause you don't know, you don't know their story. You don't know what happened before that, um, that event you don't know. Um, and oftentimes like, we don't know, like I I'll do something and I'll be like two days later, I'll be like, Oh, that's why I reacted that way. Now, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we just, when we're in the midst of, um, of, of a of a response a trauma response um we're not thinking clearly our brain i mean it just doesn't allow us to think clearly when when we're in the midst of a of a um response like that and so it takes knowing ourselves well enough to be able to um to to then go back and say oh that's why i did that because then we can slowly retrain our brain to you know function at a you know a little bit healthier let me try to draw a conclusion here based on very little evidence, anecdotal evidence, <laughs> and maybe I would think certainly it's not true for everybody. But for you, for me, my lifetime, um, most of the people I know come, come through these things stronger, wiser, and better adjusted in, in learning to understand 
themselves and therefore other people because we're all a work in progress no matter how old we get and even though we don't know nobody knows us as well as we know ourselves there's an awful lot about ourselves we don't understand so i, I you know i i find i find it uh, as i said in the beginning of the conversation you are inspirational you not only talk about this but you're bringing you're bringing assistance to other people and that's that's wonderful well, I appreciate that. I, I actually, um, sometimes I get a little irritated when people are like, man, you're so strong, Jamie. Well, like, I really don't have a choice, frankly, um, <laughs> yeah. because, um, the alternative is death and I'm not, I'm not good with that. So, um, so I'm going to figure out how to go on, but also like, I have really, um, from the beginning, one of the things that I have used to help me is this, um, is I believe that Jake sends things to me when I need them or people to me when I need them. I call yeah. them my gifts from Jake. Sure. Um, and, and right from the beginning, people have been introduced into my life that I would have never met. Now, let me tell you what, I give all those people back in one second. Sure. If I could have my child back, I'm good with that too. Um, but, you know, even like Kevin who introduced us, um, he is a gift from Jake. Like he, um, he, um, tells amazing stories of resilience and, and, um, we would never have known each other had, had we not, um, had my story not have connected us. Um, so, and also things about myself, like having a voice, having a voice to speak to people about being kind to each other and to, to, um, to, to do things intentionally, to take care of yourself. Like prior to to losing Jake, I would never be able to sit and have this conversation with you, Dave. That was not who I was. That was not my personality. Um, so, so, so I try and think about the things that have happened that have helped me to, um, to move forward yeah. and make a difference. Well, you said sometimes, I guess you can get a little bit tired of people telling you, oh, you're inspirational. Oh, well, all people are saying is, God, thank you. If if you can get through this, then maybe there's hope for me in dealing with whatever whatever emotional issues that I'm dealing with, you know. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's the meaning of the word inspiration. And uh, so you might get tired of people saying thank you, but they're going to keep saying it your entire <laughs> life. They're going to keep saying. It. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to want to raise here? Uh, you know. Anything, you know, I, I, I talk to people that write books and I don't think you've done that, but I mean, anything, uh, anything in particular that you'd like to, to get across or sell or. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just, in closing, like, well, first of all, stay tuned book to come um, as soon as I get myself together to do that. But, um, yeah, good. but yeah, definitely uh, really one of the biggest things that I talk about um, is this idea around empathy and how we have to have empathy to be well, to, to, to give back, we have to be able to sit in a spot of kindness towards other people and towards ourselves. And so, um, you know, I always tell folks like intentional acts of kindness are probably the biggest thing that has helped my brain to heal, which seems crazy because it's, it's so easy, right? It doesn't take anything to be nice to somebody, but really, um, really recognizing if you've gone through something, if you're going through something, if we can shift that to, um, to, to giving back to somebody else. For me, that's helped me to heal in more ways than I can even imagine. Just 
you know, like the month of June is a terrible month for me. That's um, the month that Jake was killed. It starts like at Mother's Day. I start feeling the shift in my brain and body. And, and then I just know I need to do extra during that time period. And so I find ways to, um, to, to maybe I, I volunteer somewhere or maybe I, Jake loves Chick-fil-A. So I'll go through Chick-fil-A. I hate Chick-fil-A, but I'll buy for the car behind <laughs> me. So to, to just honor him, but also to, to do something nice for somebody else. But like this time of year, it's a hard time of year. And so, um, so um, finding volunteer opportunities to get back to other people, to see other people finding joy and meaning, like those things all help me, but which of course they help. Like we know that intuitively, but what it really does is it triggers the right release of chemicals in our brain to help us to feel better, you know? And so that's um, that idea of intentionality when we're feeling when we're struggling, do something intentional to release the right things in your brain and not the ones that are going to do more harm to us. So. Well, one of the things you said, uh, talking about uh, what uh, the, the kinds of stresses and, and uh, burdens that everybody in this society has had for the last couple of years is all about, uh, uh, all about uh, learning to, to you just you just said it that made me think of that now i can't remember what you just said <laughs> um i don't recall i'm, I'm going to end up having to, to edit that because i can't remember what it was you said what was it you just said um let's see intentional acts of kindness um, oh yeah, yeah 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 giving back yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 you know we gotta we gotta give up the crazy the crazy stuff the craziness the I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of social media, but you know, you can't can't consider that part of the real world. You're dealing with people you don't know, people who have names that may or may not be true. You know, you're you're just you're dabbling in a real life comic book there. So we have to learn to uh, to reconnect in that respect, and and it all brings me to a, a, a wonderful quote by you that's on your website where you wrote. If we just assume everyone has a story of adversity and that we should take care of them and be kind to them, it would go a long way in healing a lot of wounds. Boy, it sure would. That's a big one. Yeah, Thank you so much. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope we'll have another one. Yeah, that would, I would love that.